0: The moral of the story there is you don't go with the cheapest option just because it's the cheapest Mm -hmm. option. And the cheapest option can often cost you a lot more in the long run. Yeah. And that really goes for everyone you hire as you're scaling and as you're investing in real estate and building your team. That goes... For the CPA you hire and the contractor and the attorney, the cheapest option is rarely the best option. And it's a lot better to hire a qualified, licensed, insured person, reputable person who's going to do the job the right way.
1: Without Fear of Her Future podcast is for women who are passionately pursuing financial freedom, using multiple streams of income and real estate to accomplish their goals. We are here to empower you to be brave, Dream big and design a life that you love that inspires others to do the same. I am your co-host, Teresa Todd, founder of the Women's Real Estate Investors Network and author of the book, Without Fear of Her Future.
2: And I'm Melissa Baker, your other co-host. I'm a real estate investor and fitness coach specializing in turning properties from drab to fab. I'm here to help motivate and inspire you to build your dream life because girl, you deserve it. Today, we are talking to Rachel Richards. She's an author of two best-selling books, a public speaker, and a renowned digital course creator. Rachel's success comes from her impressive real estate portfolio she built at just
0: 27 years old. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hey, ladies! Thank you so much for having me. What a wonderful intro! I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> yes,
2: yes. We're so excited to have you here today. Can we just start and have you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your life looked like before real estate investing?
0: Absolutely. It's yes, I. I yeah. <laughs> yes, I graduated from college in 2013, and I started off as a financial advisor. And I always knew that I wanted to escape the rat race and I didn't want to work for somebody else my whole life. So it was kind of just about figuring out how to go about that. And I read rich dad, poor dad in high school. And that turned me on to this whole world of real estate investing. So in 2017, and I did, I did do all this with my ex-husband. He was a 50-50 partner with me financially and both with the effort of creating a real estate empire so in 2017, we bought our first rental property. It was a duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. And later that year, I self-published my first book, Money, Honey. So we had these two passive income streams. And over the following two or three years, we focused on growing those income streams as much as possible. So fast forward a couple years, and by 2019, we had 38 doors and I had two books and we were making $10,000 a month in passive income. So that was the year I quit my job and became, quote unquote, financially independent or retired. And we can talk about those words and what those words mean. Um, But that's kind of the high level overview.
2: Wow, that's very impressive. It really is. So with that first property, Rachel, how did you guys go about acquiring that as far as like your down payment, your funding, that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. The first property we bought in Louisville, Kentucky was a duplex and it was a hundred thousand dollars. And I know that sounds very cheap. And anyone listening in California is probably thinking (laughs) I can't even buy a parking spot for that amount of money. (laughs) Um, So I do have two pieces of advice for those of you who are having a hard time finding an affordable property in this market. Number one is to look for properties off market So I think a lot of new investors are looking for properties on Zillow and on the MLS, the multiple listing service. And I started off doing that too. I just realized it was really competitive and saturated because that's what everyone else is doing. It's really easy. You don't even have to get off your couch to look for properties. So uh, once I started looking at some of these creative strategies, like uh, sending direct mail campaigns to probate leads and pre-foreclosure leads and short sales and doing driving for dollars and bandit signs and auctions and networking, that's where I started finding a lot more really good real estate leads. Absolutely. So that's one piece of advice. And then another one is don't be afraid to invest out of state. I invested and bought all my properties in Kentucky where I lived at the time. So I was fortunate to live and invest in the same place, but it doesn't always work out that way. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I moved to Colorado, I was really scared to move away from all my rentals, but becoming a long distance landlord was the best thing I ever did because Mm -hmm. I was forced to have systems and teams in place. So it actually became easier to manage my properties from afar. So if you are Mm -hmm. stuck in a place like Chicago or New York or Washington, D.C. or anywhere along the West Coast where it's really expensive, I do encourage you to look at other markets for sure. Um, But that is one thing we had going for us is that we invested in Louisville, Kentucky, where properties were relatively cheap. And by the time I was, because I bought that first property when I was 24. So by that time I had saved $10,000 of my own money and he had done the same. So we pulled that together to get to the $20,000 down payment. And that's how we purchased that first property.
1: There you go. I love it. I love it. And then you went from zero units to nearly 40 in two years. So, how yes. in the world were you able to scale so quickly with your real estate investments?
0: Yeah, the the scaling quickly definitely exceeded my expectations because mm-hmm. I was on a fifteen year plan starting out, <laughs> um, and we did have a couple things going for us that allowed us to scale quickly. First of all, again, we had the market, and that was a good, cheap, affordable market to invest in. Secondly, neither of us graduated with student loan debt, and that was just an advantage that we had. Mm -hmm. He had military benefits that paid for his school, and I I took jobs, and I paid my way through my school, too, without my parents' help. So we worked really hard, even prior to that, to be able to graduate without debt. So that was good. Um, And we... I never made six figures as well. So I want to clarify, I'm not a trust fund baby. I never made six figures from a career or from a job. So I started off making $32,000 and then $36,000 and then $42,000. So by no means was I raking it in. But with our combined income, we were making six figures And we were saving like 50% of that income. We were living frugally. We were saving a ton of our income. So we had a lot of momentum that way where we were able to save down payments. Another thing is we, these are like simple things. It doesn't sound glamorous or exciting. There's not like crazy hacks or anything. It's just, these were the simple things we did that allowed us to save money. Um, Another thing is that we didn't give into lifestyle creep. So We saw all of our friends buying, upgrading to fancier houses and apartments, and buying cars, and we kept our lifestyle the same. And even when we bought that first rental property, and it was cash flowing five hundred dollars a month, we it took us so long, and we worked so hard just to get that first one. And it would have been so easy for us to say, "We can finally upgrade, and we can get that new car we've been wanting to get, and we can move into a bigger house." But instead we said, no, let's save 100% of this cash flow and put it towards the down payment for the next property. Uh So we were just really diligent with that. Um, And I would say the last thing we did, and this was the biggest key to us scaling quickly, is that I had my realtor's license. Um, So I had my real estate license. And I never had it for, I didn't have clients. It was just for my own purposes as an investor. Mm -hmm. So every time we closed on a property, I would be the buyer's agent on the commission. And as one of the realtors in the transaction, I would get paid a commission on every deal that we did. So at the yeah. closing table. So sometimes it would be a couple thousand dollars. Sometimes it would be 10 or $12,000, which for me at the time was a ton of money. Yeah. And we would take, I mean, we would deplete our savings every time we bought a property, but then we would take that chunk of money and we would put it towards the down payment on the next property. And that really allowed us to scale to scale quickly
1: so much wisdom and everything that you just shared to be so young you just made a ton of great decisions and you made a lot of sacrifices that so many of us are not willing to make Mm -hmm. and that is I just love that I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this and especially our younger listeners Um, be willing to make those sacrifices it's um, so good for you in the long run. And not even, I mean, not even when you're 40 or 50, you're still so young and you are getting to enjoy the benefits of those sacrifices that you made and the wisdom that you used.
0: Thank you. And I think you make a great point because a lot of people see the lifestyle I'm living now and they want that end result, but it's hard to describe and paint the picture of the sacrifices that went into that because even in high school and college, I was working multiple jobs. I was trying to make good grades and save money. And then after that, it's just hard to paint the picture of the years and years of sacrifice and the hours I put in and all the social invites I said no to. And I would go out to eat with my friends, but I would eat beforehand so that I didn't spend money on food. And I would take my lunch to work every day so that I didn't spend money on food like that. There was just so many little things I did for you. It's not like I just sacrificed for a few months. I sacrificed for years and it was really, really, really hard to do that in my twenties. But now, and I'm 31 now and now I feel like I live this really cool lifestyle where I travel all over and I have a lot of more money and financial freedom and it's so worth it now. It was hard to see that then, but I'm very, very happy with my decisions now.
1: Yes, yeah. I'm gonna play this episode for my granddaughters. Yes. even my grand, all my grandkids need to hear this. This is just so good. It's it so really good. is.
2: It really is. I want to ask you really quick about your properties. Um, you mentioned your first one was a duplex. Are are you in mainly multifamily? Do you have single family? Do you do a combination? Just curious, what you invest in.
0: Mainly multifamily. We had a couple single family properties, and I don't really count them as part of our intentional portfolio because they were our former primary residences that we turned into rentals. And then the bigger part of our portfolio were these boarding house uh, models that we purchased, and they were these big triplexes and quads that were converted into this rent by the room strategy. And we purchased them this way, or two out of the three of them this way. way. So there were 11 to 12 tenants in each of these properties and they were rented out by the room, fully furnished, and each tenant paid about $600 a month to live there. And it was really great to have this kind of model in Louisville, Kentucky, because it was a cash cow for us, the owners and the buyers of this property, but it provided a lot of really affordable housing for people in Louisville, Kentucky, which is needed in every major city now. So we felt really great about it. Um, It was a really unique model and I can explain more about it, but we had those for several years. They made us a ton of money and we sold those properties in 2021 uh, before our divorce, just because it's definitely not the most passive way of owning and investing in real estate. And once we started accumulating a lot more money, we we just decided we wanted to transition into a more passive way of investing.
1: Oh, so I, I love you. that. Was that mostly college?
0: No, no, it was um, it was a mix of people, okay. and we didn't we didn't necessarily have college kids, and we didn't necessarily have even a lot of travel nurses or travel doctors. It was a lot of blue collar people. People who worked in factories or manual labor and just needed a convenient, easy, cheap place to move into. I get it.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Nice, nice. Can you talk about one main obstacle or big obstacle that you faced along the way as you were building this portfolio?
0: Oh, can I? I can talk for days about obstacles, <laughs> mistakes. I mean, I don't mean to even make it sound like this was an easy thing. All I did was make mistakes. So, yeah, I do. I have a story for you. Um One of the biggest obstacles, okay, so we self-managed until we got to about 27 doors or 27 tenants. And by then, too, we were both still working Mm full-time. I was writing my books in the evenings we were acquiring real estate and managing our tenants on the weekends. So we got to 27 doors and we were like, we can't do this anymore. So we started looking for a property manager and we made a big, big mistake here. So there was this husband and wife couple who had been working for us and they did things like some of the maintenance yard work, taking care of the place, odds and ends drops. And they always went above and beyond. They were willing to do anything, really hardworking people. So when it came time to hire a property manager, we figured why not make them employees of our company and we can hire them to be the property managers Mm -hmm. instead of spending a ton of money on these big companies. Mm -hmm. So we thought it was a win-win, right? Uh It was not. It was a Uh, win-lose. They won and we lost. Yeah. (laughs) So it started off really great. And then about six months in, my ex went to collect the rent from the on-site lock boxes that we had and he noticed a lot of rent was missing and it wasn't just a tenant or two paying late it was a significant amount so come to find out this husband and wife couple had stolen six thousand dollars in rental income from us that weekend and we found out that they had been squatting in the vacant units and rooms on our properties for almost a year Oh so it God. was, I know it was a nightmare. It was just such a violation. And I remember thinking, that's it. We're quitting this whole thing. You know, I can't believe it. This is it for us. Um, and of course I had that breakdown for about two days and then I, I recovered from that, but it was, it was <laughs> awful. And the lesson, the moral of the story there is you don't go with the cheapest option just because it's the cheapest mm-hmm. option and the cheapest option can often cost you a lot more in the long run. Yeah, And that really goes for everyone you hire as you're scaling and as you're investing in real estate and building your team. That goes for the CPA you hire and the contractor and the attorney. Mm -hmm. The cheapest option is rarely the best option. And it's a lot better to hire a qualified, licensed, insured person, reputable person who's going to do the job the right way.
2: Oh, that's yes. a good piece of advice. Yeah, you know,
1: I love it. I love it. And, you know, I love that you're sharing that you, it was mistake after mistake, because any entrepreneur, if they're really honest, that's how we make it, yeah. is one mistake after another. And the thing is, is that when you get back up and go again. And that's what you did, even though you felt like, okay, I'm done. You got back up and you did it again. And I love that our list, for our listeners to hear that because I know so many of them are, you know, their first flip, did it turn out well? Or they're having trouble, you know, and having to evict somebody from a rental and all of those things.
0: And those things happen to all of us.
1: And um, you just keep going and you trudge through it and you learn from the mistakes and you get wiser.
0: Exactly. And no matter how experienced you are. There's still going to be an aspect of you don't know what you don't know, especially as you're doing new things and challenging yourself and taking yep. on new strategies. I'm sitting in my duplex that I just renovated into a quadplex right now. And I've had to change my strategy on this 14,000 times because <laughs> I've made mistakes and because there's things I don't know. And I was just talking to somebody about it today, all the mistakes I've made just on this property, because this is a new thing that I'm doing. And even yeah. as, ex- as experienced as I am, I mess up all the time and it's okay. Yeah. It's just That's what you have to
1: do. So good, Rachel. I'm so glad that you said that. I I, I just know that that is what, you know, we can all talk about how amazing our portfolios are and all of those things. And that that does inspire, but also what inspires, um, especially I think women who are just now having the courage to step out in this, that they always think, oh, I need to know all the things. You don't have to know all the things. Just jump out and get started and learn as you go.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, what is a common piece of advice um, that you would give to entrepreneurs? Okay, let me rephrase this question. What is a common piece of advice that's given to entrepreneurs that you might disagree with?
0: Oh, good question. Uh, okay, here's one. I feel like a lot of people tell entrepreneurs, say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. And I I agree with it to a point because I think when you're starting off and you're hustling and you're building your side hustle or whatever it is, yes, you you want to you want to say yes to a lot of those opportunities as you're starting out. But there comes a point where if you don't learn to start saying no, your calendar will fill up with everyone else's priorities but your own. And one of the most difficult things for me to learn as a business owner is saying no. Because at one point I just realized I was overwhelmed and I didn't have any time for myself and I was stressed out and my business was draining me. And it's because I had no boundaries and I couldn't, and I'm a people pleaser. So when someone asks me for help, that's what I want to do. I set out this business to be able to help people, but I realized I can't help thousands and thousands of people for free because that's at the detriment to me and my own mental Mm -hmm. health. And if I'm doing that, then I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting my business. I'm hurting other people. So you really have to learn to balance that. And so, another person then told me, if it's not a, if it's not a heck yes, it's a no.
2: So Ooh, there's yeah. some
0: questions I ask myself now to really narrow down the opportunities I want to say yes to and the opportunities I want to say no to. But you really have to think through everything very intentionally. Because every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Mm-hmm. Even if it's your own free time or your family time or time at the gym, you're saying no to something. You so you really bet. have to be intentional with that.
2: Oh, yeah. great advice. So on on that note, um, and you just talking about you you scaling so quickly and you had this overwhelm. Um, let's talk about burnout for a minute. Have you ever experienced that? And and what did you do? What do you do about that? How do you yes. prevent that? Also. <laughs>
0: it's still a struggle. Okay. I'm not, I'm not good at most of the things I try to do. I think it it comes off that way, but it's not in reality. So um, definitely I've gone through phases of burnout for sure. And I'm a workaholic. And when, when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work, but the thing is you can still experience burnout. So you have to be really careful. And I remember when I first quit my job, um, my, my career back in 2019 And I could focus on my business and on my real estate investments. And it was so fun. And I could easily work a 12 or 14 hour day. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. But if you do that for weeks, you will suffer from burnout, even if you're doing what you love. And that's where you really have to be careful. So I think it's just checking in with yourself intentionally, journaling, you know, how do I feel? I'm a big advocate for therapy as well. Um, There were times when I was scaling my portfolio of real estate with my ex that I definitely did suffer from anxiety and from depression because I was not making my mental health a priority. And that's probably one of my biggest mistakes and my biggest lessons learned is to never prioritize money, career, job, building an empire over my mental health. And ever since then, I've asked myself, what are my values? My most important value is my health my family, like my relationships and my freedom in that order though. So number one, health, number two, family and relationships, and number three, freedom. And now I do a check-in every so often and I make sure that I'm living in alignment with my values because it's one thing to say that and it's Mm -hmm. another thing to actually live that way. So every day, if I'm not making sure I'm doing things to support my mental and physical health first, then it's a problem if I'm not living out my day that way. So health first and foremost.
2: So good. That's good. If we don't have our health, what do we have? That's right. That's right. Let's talk for a minute, Rachel, about passive income, what it is and how it's really passive. I know you describe this quite in detail in your book. Yes, I'm glad you asked. Oh, you you have it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm loving it. I'm loving it.
0: Thank you so much. Um, Passive income is this buzzword that's become so popular in the last few years, and I think it is often misconstrued, misunderstood. So I do like to explain my definition of it. Passive income to me is income that is earned with little to no ongoing work or little to no ongoing effort. And it is no get rich quick scheme. Okay, it's not something that you snap your fingers and you easily have a passive income stream and you can sit back and do nothing. That's not how it works. Um, The only passive income stream that's one hundred percent passive is when you invest in the stock market. And you can sit back and earn dividends. The only problem with that is you normally need tons of money invested to earn a significant amount of revenue, like a million or $2 million to earn the kind of dividend income you would need to comfortably live off of that. Now, I don't have $2 million sitting in the bank, (laughs) so I knew I wouldn't be able to retire by just throwing my money in the stock market. Most of the other passive income streams I talk about in my book will require you to work for a few hours a month or a couple hours a week. And some people would say, well, Rachel, that's not passive. And totally fine. That is a fine opinion. I just think it's a lot more passive than a nine to five job. Yeah, so that's right. why I call those passive income streams. Yes. Now with real estate, no, it's not 100% passive. Even when you hire a property manager, there's always going to be an aspect of you have to manage the manager. So when people talk about real estate being passive, it's not 100% passive. They just mean it's more passive than a 40 hour a week job. So I always clarify that and what people mean by real estate being passive in air quotes. Um, But that's my definition of passive income. And the other one thing I want to clarify on that is that there's two stages stage one of passive income of building a passive income stream there's nothing passive about it it's completely active so when you think about finding a rental property doing the analysis running the numbers going through the inspections the renovations listing it finding a tenant screening the tenant if you have to furnish it that all takes a ton of time but then you go into stage two where you have the tenant there that's when it becomes a lot more hands-off so you always have to think in terms of these two stages of of this passive income. And when we're talking about passive income, we're always talking about when it's in stage two, but it does take time and or money to get to that stage two, where it becomes more hands off. Yeah. Yeah. Love
1: it. That's so true. That's so true. Okay. I love your term money, honey. And so I have to ask, what made you write it and why that title? Because it's so
0: Oh, thank you. I just wanted a catchy title that people would remember. And it worked because it stuck. And now people know me as Money Honey Rachel. Uh I love it. (laughs) So it was effective. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I wrote the book because I had this epiphany back in 2017. And I used to be a financial advisor. So all my family and friends would come to me for financial advice, which was great. And I love helping people with that. And I think at some point I thought well, why aren't people learning on their own about personal finance and investing in the stock market? And then I remembered, oh yeah, because it's boring, right? It's it's awful. It's intimidating. It's complicated. It's complex. No wonder people don't like to learn about it. So I thought to myself, well, what if I can make this topic sassy and fun and playful? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So I started writing this book and it was just this passion project. This was, you know, I didn't have an email list. I didn't have an IG following. No one knew who I was. Um, This was just a passion project and something I felt very compelled to do. And I didn't expect to make money from it. In fact, I expected to lose money and that the money I invested into this book, I wouldn't make back. And I was so broke at the time that I was (laughs) like, okay, I don't have more than... $500 to invest into this because I'm going to lose that money. So I, I think I spent $570 thinking that's gone. Um, but I wrote this book, I launched it. And to my shock, I made that amount back in the first month. And (laughs) thank you to this day. I'm, I'm just, wow. A happy surprise. Um, I think it really resonated with female millennials Mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people have told me it it just feels like they're sitting down with a friend over coffee and learning about a, a topic that's normally really difficult in just a fun and easy way so i just i'm prou- i'm really proud of that book <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. You know, um, I teach women how to invest in real estate, but typically the women that, um, you know, gravitate towards me are more my age. And so they're thinking about retirement and all of those things. But I love that you are reaching millennials and you're reaching this younger generation because now they have a lot longer of a time to really create wealth and make that impact. So I just love what you're doing.
2: Thank yeah, you. Where we'd be had we started at her yes, age. Right? Yes. It's amazing.
0: Thank you so much. And, uh, well,
1: so what are some of your daily habits that help you cultivate a healthy mindset mm-hmm. for success?
0: Oh, have you all heard of The Miracle Morning? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I love that book. And okay, oh. I'm kind of off track. I will be honest with my miracle morning and I need to get back on track. So I'm glad you asked me because it's like, okay, let's get back on this. But when I am doing well with, and this goes to show, you don't have to have some fancy morning routine to be a successful person. Uh, But I will say to cultivate the healthiest mindset, these are the things that I consistently do. And a lot of it is follows the miracle morning, which is a book by Hal Elra that I can't recommend highly enough. So meditation is something that, has helped me focus my mind a lot and foster a a more grateful mindset. And then also just recognizing things that I'm grateful for. So at the beginning or end of each day, just writing down three to five things that I'm grateful for, um, it just makes you a more positive person. I didn't think it would have an impact on me, but once I did it consistently for 30 days, it truly did, it really will change your mindset. Um, Doing therapy is something I cannot recommend enough. I love therapy so and I think it's such a stigma it's like people don't talk about it but I will tell everybody that I'm in therapy and that I love therapy so there we go (laughs) um and then affirmations are great and exercise one thing I'm proud of myself for is I have really healthy coping mechanisms and last year I got divorced and when that was a really difficult time for me the one thing that I did is I was exercising regularly. I was eating really healthy. I think I was in the best physical shape of my life during that time because my ho- coping mechanism was like, okay, that's the one thing I can be in control of and I can be at least yeah. a really physically healthy person. And thank goodness for that because that, that just really helps me during that time. So exercise, I think, is very important.
1: Yeah,
2: I think we can both relate yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. Well, what advice would you give someone who doesn't have much capital but
0: desires to start investing? Oh, I love this question because I get this question all the time. Um, Definitely don't count yourself out of the game of real estate investing because I was under the impression you had to have a 20 or 25% down payment to invest in real estate. So when I was building up my portfolio, that's what I did because I didn't know that there was any other option. So I, the reason I hustled so hard and saved so money and scrimped and saved, is because I kept thinking I needed twenty percent down payments over and over again to build up this real estate portfolio. I literally just did this with my ex. I didn't know this community existed of all these real estate investors and all these resources. Um, but if I knew then what I know now, I could have gotten started even sooner and without any money. I could have started investing at age eighteen because there's all these strategies. So I'm going to list them. We do not I don't know if we have time to go into We can talk about a few, but I'll list a few strategies. And if you're listening and you don't have money, even if you have like a thousand bucks or even less than that, you can start with these strategies. So there's wholesaling, there's house hacking, which is what I'm doing now. There's the BRRRR method. If you don't have W-2 income or you're having a hard time getting qualified for financing, there's the DSCR loan, which is the debt service coverage ratio loan. You can look into seller financing. You can find a silent partner. You can look into getting hard money lending or private money lending. Um, So I think that's Um, like like seven seven strategies strategies right there. there. But but tons Tons of ways to get started if you don't have capital.
2: Absolutely, love it. Yes, I hope I hope those girls were listening to that because that is some good good advice. Some good advice. Um, Rachel, we like to ask our guests for three takeaways. So what are three things that you would advise an investor or entrepreneur who is looking to be brave and grow or is perhaps feeling stuck where they are?
0: Okay, first of all, I think one of the struggles is dealing with analysis paralysis Mm -hmm. for new investors. And one of the things that I tell my students if they're dealing with analysis paralysis, I think one of the struggles with that is feeling like you have to say no and you just have to choose one strategy or one market. And that's not actually true with the analysis paralysis. I always try to tell people, just because you're choosing one strategy or one market now doesn't mean you're saying no to the rest. Maybe it just means you're saying later to the rest. Mm -hmm, And that helps me get over the FOMO of the situation (laughs) a little bit more. So if you're stuck between, you know, Tampa and Columbus, Ohio, you don't have to choose one or the other, just choose one now and you can go pursue the other one later. And that way it helps you just take action and take that first step. Love it. So just because you're choosing one doesn't mean you're saying no to the rest. That's my first piece of advice. My second one is take imperfect action. It's better than taking no action at all and embrace that. So good, it's a good one. Um, Even with this property that I bought, that I'm sitting in, and I closed on it back in February, so it's been several months. But I had a fear, and I had anxiety, and this is the first property I bought since my divorce that I bought all on my own with my own money, no partners, no one else was involved. And it was really scary. And I'm used yeah. to buying properties in Kentucky that are $200,000, and um, this property in Denver is $800,000. And so many times I would freak out and I would be like, what, who do I think I am? What am I doing? This is a lot of money. And even though I logically knew the numbers were great and it's a great investment and I knew that and I have all this experience as an investor, I would still freak out. And I remember getting on the phone with my good friend and realtor Craig and being like, is this a good idea? You know, what am I doing? And he would reassure me and he would call me down and talk me off the ledge and I'd be like, okay, okay, this is fine. But I think it goes to show that Successful investors have fear, too. Yes. We also get scared. And the difference is that we push through, not because we don't have fear, but despite the fear. Mm -hmm. We take action despite the fear, and that's what makes the difference. So if you're starting out and you feel scared, just know it's normal. And you have to just push through, because there's a difference between being in it, it just means that you're you're getting into a discomfort zone and you're growing. That's, yep. just, that's all that means. You're yep. growing and you're pushing into a zone that feels a little bit uncomfortable because it's new to you. And that can be mm-hmm. a really, really beautiful and great thing for you. And you just have to take action even though you don't necessarily feel that way. Great advice. And then, it is. <laughs> and then the third um, piece of advice I would give to you is I don't know if you all are Perfectionists or control freaks. And I used to be that way. I am recovered, officially (laughs) recovered. (laughs) Um, But I was afraid to make a mistake. And I didn't want to make a mistake that would cost me time or that would cost me money. So I kept thinking, I need to read more. I need to listen to more podcasts. I need to be more prepared. And I got stuck on all of this consumption. I need Mm -hmm. to consume more. And I was so focused on being more prepared. That I I just didn't execute on anything and mm-hmm. never implemented. Yeah. And we have to move from consumption to implementation mm-hmm. if we ever want our lives to change. Uh-huh. So you you have to embrace mistakes are gonna happen no matter how prepared you are. Cause again, there's always this aspect that you don't know what you don't know. So you have to embrace accept the fact that you will make a mistake no matter, no matter how prepared you are. And once you can accept that, taking that first step will be a lot easier. So yes. that is my
2: Mm. oh all three of those are so so good good. yes yes they are
0: they are thank you for those
2: yeah all right Teresa she's given us a lot today Mm -hmm. so I want to know what your top takeaways are from what Rachel has given us today
1: wow well from a couple of those things that she just mentioned is um you know it just made me think about the imperfection Mm. it's just starting it's just start um, one of the things a mentor told me really early in this game is start before you're ready. Just yeah. p- and put a date on the calendar and say, this is the day I'm going to start. And then just no matter what, do it. And no, you don't have to watch another YouTube video. You don't have to attend another seminar. Just start with what you know. And because once you take that first step, things are going to start rolling, and then you got to take the next step and the next step. And so, um, yeah, this was amazing, amazing advice. So thank you for sharing all of this with us. You were were you're amazing. guest today. Thank you. So are you? Thank you.
0: Appreciate it.
1: Well, if you have not subscribed to the Without Fear of Her Future podcast, I want you to hit that
2: subscribe button today for new episode reminders. Thank you for joining us today. On behalf of the Women's Real Estate Investors Network and Teresa Todd, I'm Melissa Baker encouraging you to be brave and dream big.